0: Hi, this is Dr. Ziegenbein, your favorite rheumatologist and fibromyalgia expert coach. Fibromyalgia has the capacity to rule and even ruin your life. I am here to show you how to stand up to it, how to be your fibromyalgia boss, once and for all. All right, everyone. I am very, very excited today to introduce Dr. Beckford to you. She's a mom, a wife, an ER doc, host of the Dogs Who Care podcast, speaker, wellness expert and coach, and chief executive officer of Your Caring Dogs. She got her Master of Science at Montclair State University New Jersey, MD degree at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey, and did her ER residency at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. Welcome to our podcast, Dr. Beckford.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so
0: honored. Thank you so much. I want to explain why I invited Mm -hmm. you. You do not have fibromyalgia. My podcast is about fibromyalgia. However, Mm -hmm. that's where I want to uh, tie it in. Nervous system overwhelm, or Mm -hmm. when we feel overwhelmed, contributes to pain in patients with fibromyalgia. And you are handling so many things. You are a master of handling things. You also are a host of the podcast who gives... Mm -hmm. Physicians' advice on how to handle overwhelm. So, I was hoping you were going to share with us your secret. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. I would like to let our listeners know we are recording with. I can see Dr. Beckford myself. You can Mm -hmm. because this will be a podcast, but I want you to know she at nine, we are recording at nine o'clock Eastern time Mm -hmm. and she looks beautiful. (laughs) uh, She looks like a model. I'm not kidding. And to me, that's something admirable because I admire people who can look amazing the whole day. So I just wanted to say that.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I am going to add the secret to all of that. It is the Zoom facelift. (laughs) I don't think so.
0: Goodness, I appreciate the comments. Yes, (laughs) you do look amazing. So, let's start a little bit at the beginning. So, first Mm -hmm. of all, uh, I'm gonna um, let our listeners know that you are a mom to two boys. Uh, How how old are you? Remind me, they are
1: so my boys are three and five years old, very busy age. My son is five, so (laughs) you're a
0: mom to two boys, and Mm -hmm. you are an ER doctor. And if I remember correctly, you're a nocturnal, correct?
1: Correct. Can you explain? To us,
0: but absolutely.
1: Means. Yeah. So, the nocturnists are the doctors who work only nights. So, I work only nighttime, and in the daytime, I usually sleep. So, think of Dracula, the vampires, those are <laughs> nocturnists. <laughs> When we see the sun, we're like, "What is that thing in the sky?" Oh yes, it's the sun. So I work <laughs> nights only in the ER. I'm an ER doctor. Would you mind sharing why did you decide
0: to do nocturnal shifts? Because that's Absolutely. kind of like I I honestly cannot imagine. I and I know <laughs> some people who also after nine PM they are <laughs> their
1: brain shuts down. Yes. So tell Absolutely. me, tell us, tell us how. Absolutely. So I chose to do that. There are two reasons why I did that. So the first is I'm a night owl by nature. So yeah, my, I rev up my brain revs at nighttime. I have tried to figure out why is it, you know, I've tried to be an early bird, but it's just not within my natural tendency. So that's part one. Part two is that being a nocturnist, I was able to have a little bit more freedom with my schedule Because I work the shifts no one wants, right? The average person wants to be home at night. Yeah. So I, yes, absolutely. So I just decided to just go with the flow of my body at this time that I can do it and um, work those shifts that no one wants. And that allows Mm. me to do some of the other entrepreneurial ventures during the evening and those days that I'm off. So that's why I chose to be a nocturnist.
0: How... Long have you known, or when did you find out? Did you was it all the way back at the medical school, or did you was it during residency? Like, how did you find out?
1: Realize that I'm just a night owl. Yes. Okay, so it really stems back to high school. Oh, so I've yeah I've recognized this about myself. So in high school, I was one of those students that was very active in after school activities, played the sports every season. And I still did well academically. But in order to get my schoolwork done, I had to get up in the middle of the night and get it done. Um, And then be able to go back to sleep, get rest, and then, you know, start my days over. So it really just correlated with my body, which is interesting because my dad, he is a early bird. He is a morning, 5.30 in the morning, boom, he's up no matter what. So you Um, mean you went to sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. I'm just like, yeah. So we have different body rhythms. My body rhythm is just really being up at night. That's when I start to flourish.
0: But when you, if I may go back to Mm -hmm. the beginning, you said you, you were you were very active in sports and did a lot of activities. And Mm -hmm. then you said you had to get up. So you went to bed and then got up in the really?
1: Yes. So I'd go, I'd get home, say, for example, if we had what we call like, you know, away games or so the the sports game, for example, if we did, I did softball and I also did volleyball. So if the team that my school played was far away, you know, we'd get back to the school. Like if the game started at 4 p.m., we'd have to go and travel to that other team's school. Mm-hmm. We'd return to our school by maybe six, six thirty. And then I would take the bus home. (laughs) So I take public transportation home. So I'd get home maybe around by eight, eat, take a nap, get up, do my schoolwork, go back to sleep. Yes. So that was just part of my rhythm. And so I do have to ask you. I do have to ask you though. So
0: you had no trouble. So you set up the alarm clock. For the Mm -hmm. time to get up, you did your homework. Like how Mm -hmm. many hours did you stay awake? How many? Maybe
1: around like two hours. And then you had no trouble going back to sleep? At that time, no. Because at that time I'm dead tired. Like it's time to go to bed.
0: (laughs) So the majority of the
1: time, no. And then you
0: went, you were able to get up in the morning and be Mm -hmm. completely awake? Yes. Wow. Wow. that be is functional in class. That is incredible. And be functional in class, right? And this mm-hmm. was in high school. So did that play into your decision to be an ER dog or that was completely independent?
1: Well, as you mentioned it, I think it did eventually play into it. Okay. Because I realized that I had this ability to have a shift in schedule at that time and I thought emergency medicine was so cool because right. I was up and everybody was asleep. I'm like, oh, I can do this. But then as I got older, <laughs> you know, the continuous shift in schedule became a little bit more challenging. So as I tried to look for a balance in my schedule, it's really challenging for an ER doc to get only day shifts. It's okay. just really hard because. That's just not how it's built. The, the mm-hmm. system isn't really built that way. But to do night shifts, you know, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to work nights. Are you sure you want to do this? Yes, this is me. They're like, okay, go ahead. So with that, it went within the personality that I already had, What right? the body flow. I was already at 2 a.m. I'm like, boom, yes, my mind is up and it's bubbling. So I just kind of went with it and it's working out.
0: I want to return to the comment about how your mind is sharp at two AM in a moment, but I was going to just return to what you said. I for a moment I thought when you said that you that you thought your ER, uh, ER was cool, ER specialty. Uh-huh. I, for a moment I thought it was because there are so many cool cases that come and many people yeah. of Dr. House. Who yeah,
1: I I know. <laughs> but you know, it's so, so interesting that I when I went on my Interviews to get into medical school or even my interviews for residency, everyone always thought like you know oh did you watch ER because there was a show that was on at that time it was very popular and it was called ER. Right, I forgot about that one. Right. Yeah, House and
0: ER, my two Yeah, House, shows,
1: yes. absolutely. I be- I didn't watch TV, so I did not watch those shows. So I didn't oh. even get. I wasn't even influenced by those shows. You guys really watched it? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I didn't. I really was just influenced by, you know, I got exposed to Mm. a wonderful physician who was an ER doc when I was, I think I was an undergrad at the time and I shadowed her and I thought wow this woman is amazing and she was pregnant at the time she was pregnant she was in attending you know she did the cases she talked and she taught residents and I thought like wow this is absolutely amazing and then I got introduced to another wonderful female ER doc who was a faculty member at my medical school and she was just fantastic. Her personality was awesome. She laughed at herself. Oh, she joked and I said, wow, this is something that fits with me. So that's mm-hmm. actually what propelled me to be a part of this beautiful profession, because I said, well, these people are like me, because prior to that, the Monica was always well, you're a doctor, you have to be stiff, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, yeah, you know, you're, you're always serious, but these doctors were just wonderful people that just made you feel like you can be human and, have a personality and be a fantastic doctor. I love
0: that. I love that you had two role models, one in mm-hmm. undergrad, and one in medical school, and they were both females and one of yes. them was pregnant. Right. And that's yes. what stirred you. I love it. I
1: and it's so interesting it. because they didn't, I don't think that they knew that they were my oh, role models. And so now they have been talking about it. <laughs> I love it. So
0: let's return to your comment now about mm. how you're wide awake too. I have to say, and even through medical school, when we study biology, like the concept I've always had in my head that people work on like rhythms, like biorhythms. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's natural for us to go to bed before midnight. And and I know that you said that you discovered that you're that you are a night owl. Just Absolutely. but most people, at least the stereotype is that after midnight, it just doesn't. Doesn't that, you know, sort of fire, <laughs> doesn't fire up there. So tell me, tell me how. Basically, tell me, tell me more about that. How I want to. It? You...
1: <laughs> okay, it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, being a night owl has its privileges, but it also has its disadvantage, right? Because the the world is a day and night world, and the daytime people are up. The majority of the people are getting things done. And then at night, you know, you're supposed to be resting. So for those of us who minds are active at night, you have to kind of learn how to tone it down if you aren't actively using your brain, right? Okay. So if you are in a profession that requires you to be up at night, then you try to do that if you're studying or, well, for studying, you'll probably try to do it in short bursts because your exam is probably in the morning. <laughs> So, you know, but if you are in naturally a night person, some of the benefits for that for me was when I had my baby, Baby was up all night. I was up all night. It's like, hey, okay. I love you. I can do this. So it wasn't as challenging for me, you know, with the, being up at night, mind you, as we've also even discussed, like, you know, well, how do you get all these things done? Help. I get it done with help. So when I did have my child, my in-laws were here, my mother-in-law, she helped me out. So, you know, she's an early bird. Crack of dawn, she's up. She's like, oh, I'll take the baby in the daytime. That Wonderful. is amazing. I slept in a
0: day and I was up at night. Up at night. You mentioned that you had help. So I think that's important to point out that I mean, it's, everybody has different circumstances, obviously, but you did have that help and that helped you, but did it help you to return back to work or it just in everyday life, even before your return, it was just super helpful.
1: Oh, it's absolutely helpful. And that's the thing out there when you're talking about like, how do you manage it all? Mm -hmm. You don't. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> that's the answer you don't you are unable to really do all of this on your own so for those who are there who are listening who are trying to be superhuman doing everything on your own it is challenging you will find yourself in a place where you're either burnt out wiped out and just empty so help is so important Now I am, you know, I use my body clock and luckily that my in-laws and my mother-in-law is here and her body clock is opposite to mine, right? So she's an early bird and I'm a night owl. So in the night I was able to be up to nurse and, you know, just enjoy being a mom while in the daytime, Mm. she got to enjoy being a grandma. So it worked.
0: (laughs) It's almost like perfect, like almost like... As if on Mm -hmm. purpose, like you you can't really ask for better. So if I want, I'm very curious now. So you work nights. So what time do you come home and how many hours of, well, first of all, can you sleep when you come home? Can you? Mm -hmm. And number two, how many hours of sleep do you need during the day? Or Oh,
1: that's a wonderful question. And it's really good. So when I get home from work, it has taken a while. Now, keep in mind, I I've been doing this for like three years, just working night shift only. So I have had more years working the, the up, down, such as early morning, mid-shift, mid-afternoon, oh, okay. overnights, those shifts. So I've done that. When I get home from my shifts now, I have found that I my body has gotten into a rhythm for me to try to wind down. Am I able to wind down immediately? No. <laughs> okay. tell that so there are things so as I'm coming home, I either have to like listen to something, like I'll listen to a podcast mm. or I'll respond to to social media messages or something mm. like that in the early mornings. And then once my brain starts to wind down, you know, at this point I'm probably home eating my breakfast, you know, take the shower and then I have to tone it down. So different techniques that I use in order to Wind my brain down is that I listen to audiobooks. Okay. So I listen to audiobooks with those readers who have beautiful melodic voices. Okay, eases <laughs> me to sleep, and I listen to. And I, I mean, you guys, I, I'm not telling you, the, but I love Agatha Christie. Yes, I've said it. Most people don't know who she is. She I is know who the, she is. All who is talking She's, her books? Who is speaking her books? Oh, there are tons of. Oh, we have David Suchet. We have Hugh Frazier, who, the, for those who recognize those names, <laughs> the average person doesn't, but I'm okay with that. All right. So, those are the these two it actors. History? Isn't that interesting? Tech- absolutely. And those are the two actors that played Hercule Poirot and all of her. Shows that was on, so Hercule Poirot and also the sidekick Hastings. So yes, yes, there wait, it is.
0: Just a moment, wait. Let yes. me get it straight. You yes. spent how many hours? Eight or ten? Is it eight-hour shift or ten-hour shift? Yeah, eight. Mm-hmm. eight. Eight hours in the between ER. Eight and ten. Yeah, between eight and ten hours in the ER, listening to stories and trying to solve a puzzle of a patient <laughs> who comes in distress. Yes. Then you come home. And wind down by listening to a detective story. I love detective a, a, stories. A murder story. A murder mystery. Yes.
1: I know! <laughs> <laughs> but listening to their voices. Now, the thing about it is that I know all. I know who's, I know who's the killer. I know who's the one who's deceiving. I know it all. I've, I've, but I love hearing oh the new interpretation of the same beautiful story. So once you have someone who has a beautiful voice and then it just brings me straight down to sleep. So it's almost as if it's a type of meditation for me because I listen to their voice and I get, and I go down into sleep. Now, have there been times that it's been challenging to sleep? Absolutely. So I've used melatonin and I've tried to use some of those essential oil type things, Okay. but I found myself just... Having too many awkward dreams with the central world and so I felt like you know I know that it like sometimes they you know say like oh it crosses the blood-brain barrier and, and that's some of the positive ways and attributes that they've described for using those things but I didn't like the way I felt. I didn't like the dreams that I had. I'm like, why am I dreaming about this awkwardness when I can listen to Agatha Christie and somebody? I still, I, I, still I, have right to, I have to say, I'm still <laughs> really
0: surprised. I I have to wrap my mind around that. But basically, what, what you seem to be trying to say is that, what you seem to be trying saying is that what you seem to be saying. Sorry, mm-hmm. is that you? If you do have trouble sleeping, oh no, that you do not fall asleep right away. You do need some time to wind down. You listen to podcasts or the books, Mm -hmm. and that you really found that important to be able to kind of transition from one area to another. So that's part part of the secret. I would like to talk to you about your job Mm -hmm. itself because so ER is considered one of the most stressful kind of areas of medicine. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know how, what helps you stay, because you have to stay on top of things. You have to, Mm -hmm. you're juggling probably multiple patients who you Mm -hmm. have in the ER. Mm -hmm. How, what helps you stay calm, cool, collected, which you, I have only seen you like that (laughs) when we interact. What helps you stay that way? And, you know, it can be then transferred to other areas of life. So, or other jobs. That's why I'm asking the question.
1: Absolutely. So, I think one of the ways that I do stay calm is it helps me to to really bring in the entire picture. Whenever we are in that calm state, right, we have a more panoramic view of what's going on. Ah. When you are too panicked, then you become a myopic, right? You're just looking straight at that one thing. Now, in order for you to really especially as a physician in the emergency department, you're working with a team. Mm -hmm. The team can only be as good as its leader, right? Mm -hmm. So so if you are panicking and you're unable to make the decision, then there are a couple of things that can happen. Then your energy transfers to your team. I like a calm situation, you know, as you've mentioned, that's just my personality. I like it calm. And I love to, I love everyone to be able to be at their best. And I believe that you're at your best when you're the calmest. If I am forgetting something, I want my nurses and my techs and my respiratory therapists, especially I'm thinking of a code situation at this time, right? right? So if we're running a code, I want everyone to be able to have their input saying, hey, you know, maybe it could be this. Maybe it could be that. So as we're running it, I keep calm. I speak what I'm hearing, what I'm watching, what I'm seeing, what I'm thinking. Hey, I think this could be X, Y, Z. And then based on what I'm seeing. And if it's not, if someone else has an additional idea or they might have additional information, they can present that information. Why? Because it's in a calm manner. It's easy for them to express themselves. Right. So if you and it really is, I believe in energy transfer, my energy, as soon as I step into the room, it transfers to my patient. Right. Mm -hmm. So if my patient is upset because they've been waiting for a long time, when I step in the room, I don't exude the, oh, you know, and there are times when you're like, oh, you know, this patient's really upset. Dr. back cuz they they don't want anybody to do anything and such and such i said okay no worry i can do one of two things at that time i can either take the information that, that has been presented to me and then become upset that that person's upset and enter into that room with an aura of anger like how dare are you upset or i can go in in a calm manner and then be able to exude and that same calmness to my patient and then get them to open up, let me know why they're upset. And then I can explain probably something that they didn't realize that was going on. Like, you know, you're waiting, I'm so sorry, but you know, we had a person who unfortunately just died and we had Mm -hmm. to take time for that person. When you are presented in that way, then you're less likely to be upset. Or Mm -hmm. if I come to you and especially in a calm manner and I said, you know, you're upset, and I let you speak. I let you let it out. And I listen and I acknowledge because it's true. I'm not, if you are saying, like, hey, I've been here, I'm really upset. I'm not going to say, well, you shouldn't be upset because you are upset. And so I'll say, you're absolutely right. It was a while. And, you know, and we apologize for that. You know, let me know what's going on and see how we can fix this right now. That usually brings back. And then we work on it. And nine out of 10 times that works. It helps the person to feel acknowledged. And then the thing about it is that we get to solve the problem. What brought them here? Because sometimes they don't want to stay. But then they said, you know what? You're here. And I said, well, you're already here. It took a long time for me to get to the room because of all these other circumstances. But I'm here right now. And I want to make sure that you get the care that you need before you leave. I have to say, just listening to you
0: makes me feel calmer. Like, yeah, I would co- I would totally get your explanation. Mm-hmm. So what I hear you say about as far as how you stay calm overall in stressful situations is that you think of your team and you're Absolutely. aware of how your energy is transferring to them. Absolutely. How about what allows you to stay calm when you're dealing with, let's say the patient is not coding, but there is, mm-hmm. there are many things. Like, is it mm-hmm. still just thinking about a team or is it... Basically, just you have a the detective mindset and you're just keeping <laughs> facts in front of you, all of them in front of you. What is what is the secret there?
1: I understand. Yeah, it, it can be challenging. And, you know, such as for in uh, emergency medicine we always are running a list. I think that's a probably thing. You know, you have a list of patients, they're always coming or going, right? They're here, you're taking care of them, you're discharging or you're admitting, and then you're bringing in new people. So the list is consistently, just it's always a, a set of moving parts. I have gotten to the point, have there been times that I felt overwhelmed and to an edge? Absolutely. And, you know, in order for me to really bring things back, I had, I I really would just sit down and take a look and say, okay, well, who here is the sickest? And that's something that you learn about emergency medicine. Mm -hmm. Let me keep that person in mind because I want to ensure that I can do the best for that person and show that they, you know, don't get worse. Mm. So one of the ways to do that is I'll express, like, I'm not going to keep it all to myself. So I'll let that person's nurse know, right? Because even though it's still, it's still a team, like, Hey, I'm really worried about your patient. And then I'll probably let the charger say, Hey, I'm really worried about this patient. So if you see this going on, let me know. And I also keep the family involved Hey, your family member, I'm really worried. I want to ensure that something bad doesn't happen. If you see anything, you hit that call button and then you let me know. So we do all of that. And then that helps to keep that person in my mind. And so that I can keep, because what's happening is if that person is the sickest person that I have on my list and I'm just going around and around and I'm not keeping them in mind, that's when the anxiety gets in. Like, oh my gosh, what, whatever happened to that sick patient? Did I forget about them? No. But if I keep everyone involved, if something changes, they'll let me know. When I get a chance, I'll look at their vital signs, ensure that it's improving, you know, and get the team involved. So those are just techniques. I think, the whole thing just really works with interpersonal skills and just really keeping everyone abreast of how you're feeling, what you're thinking, in order to make things go as smoothly as
0: possible. I was going to say, in terms of trying to transfer your system into a non medical job, as some of my patients yes. obviously are not you basically are prioritizing which of the tasks in your case absolutely. patient but which of the tasks is the most urgent and then mm-hmm. you keep communications going mm-hmm. and so you're prioritize or triage and you keep mm-hmm. people on the team you keep communications well going absolutely so good stuff good stuff so after 10 hours of that, uh-huh. you, you said it. sometimes you do get overwhelmed. After 10 hours mm-hmm. of that, you said you come home and you wind out by reading detective, listening to detective
1: stories. Listening, listening. listening.
0: Yeah. And then do you also, are your kids home at the time? Like, do you, do you give them a hug and a kiss and say, hi, mommy's home and I'm, or what, what's happening there?
1: Oh, that's a wonderful question. So on my way home, a lot of times I don't get to see the kids in the morning. Mm -hmm. I get to, so when I'm driving home, my husband, like I said, teamwork, right? Right. So My husband takes them to school. So when in the morning, when I'm driving home, sometimes I just end up hearing them. And I, you know, we talk through the phone, like, hi, how was your day? How are things going? But you know, kids, yeah. I might get something. I might get, I might, I take whatever I can get at that right. time. You know, I take whatever I can get. However, in the afternoon, that's my time. So I pick okay. them up from school every day. So they, you know, they have that part of the routine schedule that they see mommy in the afternoon and then I pick them up and and that's my time with them in um. the afternoon.
0: So you feel your mama cup, your mommy cup in the afternoon, in the
1: afternoon. Mm-hmm. So
0: what I'm gathering is that it does take, i I'm, maybe I wouldn't say village, but it takes a team to, to help. So that's, we are discovering, I thought you were going to tell me some secret and your the secret is basically the secret
1: is it's a team.
0: Yes. Team and being. So tell me about what do you do for yourself? Since mm-hmm. you, you said one of those things is you wind down before you sleep, but th- what else do you do to, I mean, at some point it does, I would, I would anticipate there is some mm-hmm. overpressure from, you know, going in like ER Absolutely. in and out, in and out every day. So tell me how you decompress, what do you do for yourself?
1: So what's interesting is that those who are morning people or day workers, I'd say like, you know, those who work in the day, they usually have a morning routine, right? But I don't have a morning routine because so I call it my wake up routine. And that's what I use in order to okay. really get me through. So when I wake up before getting the kids, I wake up and I keep that time to myself. So the first thing I do, mm. and the, and even though, like I said, when I'm listening to my book, my wake up routine actually starts when I'm going to bed. My phone, I don't listen to my audio books on the phone. Mm-hmm. My phone goes a- across the room on the floor, where if I wanted or I needed to look or read on social media, I would have to get up and actively walk to it. And I do that intentionally because it's important for me to get my mind right and to be able to try to get the rest I need. Right. Mm -hmm. So my phone, I put my phone away. I turn my ringer off. I set my alarm. And when I get up, the first thing I do is that I read, I read my Bible. So I read and I'm intentional in doing that. So I'm not jumping on social media first. I'm not reading emails. I'm not looking at text messages. I'm not listening to voicemails, none of that. So I start off with reading the Bible. So I've recognized that that time is usually a time for quiet. And it also leads to a little time to meditate on the word. Now, it's not as active meditating as writing, but it really does helps me to really bring a balance. Like, wow, okay, that's true. And then after that, I'll read a chapter, you know, and then after that, I'll read a book. So I'll read maybe. So I said the chapter might take me maybe five, 10 minutes to read. And I said, okay, next 20 minutes, I'm going to read. The book, whenever the 20 minutes end, that's when it ends. And then after that, that's when I tackle my day. Now, the thing that I'm trying to add to that is the yoga. I've gotten some (laughs) of it in. You know, I'm trying to be like, okay, you can do the yoga for five minutes afterwards. But I intentionally start off by reading the Bible, reading a couple minutes, 20 minutes or so of a book, and then then I start my day.
0: I wonder whether that's your secret. You said you read the Bible it and is. that you basically that's what keeps you so calm and centered and uh, for the rest of the day until the next day.
1: Yeah. So. It absolutely helps. Now, the biggest part now with the Bible, I started reading that more consistently in October. But from 2020 on, I intentionally put my phone away from me. And intentionally had mm. the first thing I do was not anything related to work or business, you know, was always either read something, write, you know, either read the journal or read something other than. So what happens, and this is what I always often said, is that I enter into my day. My day does not enter into me.
0: Mm. That's
1: kept me calm.
0: I enter into my day. Mm hmm my, the day doesn't enter into me. That's, I love it into my day. Yes. I enter into my day. I have to ask you, I can't help. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have a lot of friends, so, mm-hmm. and I'm sure some of them are day people. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so do you ever find time to hang out with them? I mean, I know barring pandemic, but do you,
1: how do you mesh your schedules then? that's a great question too. You're right. A lot of my friends are day people and a lot of my like really, really great friends, they don't live anywhere near me. You're like, okay. And I find that and for them to like my best friends, like, you know, I met one of my best friends, we were in high school together. And the other one I met coincidentally, when I thought about it, I was like, oh, it was actually 10 years later in med school. None of them live close to me. <laughs> so when we're trying to Put together to hang out, it's like six months. Okay. We're going to try. We're going to try. So that makes it a little bit easier. Other than that, going out and actively like going out with people prior to the pandemic, I would need to schedule it because I'm the type of person, as you said, that I like my alone time, believe it or not. So that's how, so when I go out, I give yes. And when I come back, i pour back into myself so my alone time to read listen to those little audio books and the things i already know <laughs> and to really do self improvement listening to either Well, i've i've read more than i actually listen to the self improvement books so so i do have to ask you a question again
0: mm-hmm. another one because yes. you are the host of the dogs who care podcast i mentioned mm-hmm. at the beginning and i don't know whether listeners know but we're, i'm going to tell them you you produce two episodes per week correct yes. i mean most So I have to ask, how do you fit that in? Because I Mm -hmm. haven't found any place yet in your (laughs) day that has, each episode is roughly 30 minutes and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's more. Mm -hmm. I have listened to several of your episodes and I learned every time something new. So basically you have doctors on your podcast, Mm -hmm. uh, different specialties, different niche. And they share with you and your patients their, you know, what they do, kind of the gist of what they do and any new Mm -hmm. information. It's extremely Mm -hmm. educational, extremely helpful. So tell me where, how, (laughs) how do you manage that?
1: (laughs) So I, I manage it because as I mentioned with being a nocturnist, I was able to negotiate to get to work in the first half of the week because no one wants to work those. So I worked the, the days that no one wants. As in Sunday nights, Monday nights So Mondays are the busiest days in the emergency department. Oh, really? Especially Monday nights. Absolutely. I wonder why is that. So So usually it stems from a couple avenues. So one, you have the weekend that just passed, and um, a lot of doctors' offices aren't opened on the weekends so there's an overload that occurs oh. from the morning yeah and then okay. you also have those who might have had any surgical procedures you know, so they come to the ER to if there are any Mm. adverse outcomes or just, and the adverse outcomes doesn't have to be big. It's just like, okay, I'm bleeding and you know, my sutures, this or that. And then you might have those who are on like maybe dialysis patients. So there are a lot of patients that come to the ER on Mondays and by Monday night, it is really crazy, right? Because it's just, it's nighttime. So for those who can't get in contact with their doctors, they come to the ER for, you know, and you still have people who are still having heart attacks and, you know, they they appendicitis. It doesn't decide when it wants to happen. It just happens. (laughs) So Mondays are usually busy. So Monday nights are super busy. No one wants to work on Monday night, but I do. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do this. So I work those shifts. And then the days that I'm off, I enter into and I do these additional things.
0: And may I ask on the days you're off, do you do that? Do you do them at night? Like, do you? the um, the recordings no. are like mm-hmm. editing and scheduling and you no know, okay so you do so the editing
1: and the scheduling yes so i am not doing all of this by myself so with the your mm-hmm. caring docs i do have my husband helps but one of the things that we've done is that we have done this live so we are using some of the tools that are available to help us right mm-hmm. so when i'm when i am recording and you're seeing my live videos that come on mostly every Thursdays and sometimes thursdays and fridays it is live and therefore i I automatically have a recording and it's it's been sent out to three different mediums so all i have to do is upload the audio onto the podcast medium and then just have it um, uploaded onto my website and that's done so i'm not having to send it to three individual medium because it's broadcasting live at that time so that helps So it's kind of taking advantage of the technology that's available in order to get me to get things done.
0: But still, doesn't it take a lot of time to plan? Like you, because you produce so much, like twice a week. It's like <laughs> it. to
1: plan it. No, like I said, taking advantage of the technology. So Calendly, thank you, thank you, thank oh, you. See. So okay. you send out, and before, yes, it was absolutely exhausting when you send out. Are you available this day? No, not this day, but maybe the next day. Am I available the next day? Maybe. Ah, da, da. But now <laughs> Calendly here. Here are the days that I'm available, and the person plugs it in and it automatically puts it on their calendar and it puts it on your right. calendar and then you're able to move along. So taking advantage of some of the technology that's available now, absolutely helps you to be able to get through your day. Thank you so much. I do have
0: one more question, which mm-hmm. has to do with outcomes in the ER. We all know mm-hmm. that it's not always a mm-hmm. happy ending. So absolutely, I want to know how you cope with when, when you're... When Yeah, when you have, let's say you have a code and the person doesn't make it or somebody Mm -hmm. comes and it's they're very sick and they either Mm -hmm. die in your ER or you'll later find out, you know, after you admit them that they haven't made it. How do you cope with that?
1: So I think that that's a that's an absolutely wonderful question. And it's true. It's I believe that we've learned to compartmentalize things in order to be able to move on. I absolutely. Hurt when my patients don't make it. However, I have to also keep in mind that if I've done everything that I can do, that, uh, you know, and things are out of my control, that I have to let that go. I am here and I comfort the patient's family. You know, I talk with them. You see my personality. I'm not the type of person that's just going to not sit and discuss what happened with the family and, you know, try to make them at peace. Because as much as I am also, you know, grieving the loss, I'm grieving the loss of a patient. They're grieving the loss of a family member, someone whom they care about. So I, I have to be there in order to Really provide support because I keep in mind each time someone passes and I have to discuss it with the family, I keep in mind that those words that I say to the family are the words that they're going to hold on to probably for the rest of their life. Mm. So I am intentional in ensuring that I am giving it my best and ensuring that I let them know that they did their best also. Because when I leave, I can move on to the next patient, because I've been trained to do that. But when I leave, they're still there with their thoughts. And I want to ensure that their thoughts are not negative to themselves. Like I should have done that. Maybe I should have, if I did this, maybe then, you know, dad would be alive. You know, So I always absolutely bring reassurance and letting them know that they did the best they could. And it also ensure that they know that we did the best that we could right family member
0: and i appreciate what you mentioned i was said about that as long as you know and you can explain to them that you did all you could mm-hmm. at some point you have to like accept and let go and I'm not talking about a family who will need a long time to process but I'm talking about us as physicians but also absolutely if we were to transfer to another areas of life for my patients Mm -hmm. who feel overwhelmed with upsetting events in their life I'm not talking about death necessarily just anything that is really out of our control if we can tell to ourselves that we did the best we could or all we could that Mm -hmm. eventually at some point we have to let go yeah. in order not to dwell on things. So, Absolutely. I, I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So, these are your secrets. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you about about in terms of secrets and how to handle so many things on your plate and still live a happy life? Because you are a very happy, nest <laughs> exuding person. You're mm-hmm. kind. You're very in the coaching group we are, you always help other people. You're always helpful. So (laughs) is there anything I haven't asked you about and you feel that it would be helpful for my listeners to know
1: as far as dealing with overwhelm? Yes. I think that dealing with overwhelm, it really is challenging. So if you are in that space that you're feeling anxious and you're feeling, you know, overwhelmed, Understand that there are many of us who go through the same things. There's some tools that are out there, you know, for you to adhere to, to try to get over some of these. So the anxiety and the depression that comes along with having a chronic illness is understandable. Mm-hmm. But what are some of the things that you can do? We Don't forget, which is something that I'm a huge proponent for, which is self-care. Self-care, it starts with self, right? So it starts with self. So think and go back to what makes you happy. What is something that makes you fulfilled and start there. So when I say self-care, a lot of times people automatically think that I'm talking about going to the nail salon, right. or going to get a spa. That right. alone is not self-care. Self-care starts with self. So go back. I've told you my quirkiness, what I like, right? I like listening to audio mysteries. Why that just that's my form yours, of that, yes. right? That's my form. Now you might listen to this and say, "Oh, Dr. beckford is crazy. What she's doing listening to that." But that's my self care. Now you find yours and you tap into that, and then you start implementing that as a part of your day, or even your week, or just carve out some time for it, and then you'll start to realize that You will be bringing your importance first, yourself first, and you'll start to notice the change will ripple into other parts of your life. So don't forget self-care.
0: I do have a follow-up question. I'm so glad I asked Mm -hmm. because, and it may be too much, too big Mm -hmm. of a, that may be food for another episode, but what if the, many of my women tell me, my patients Mm -hmm. tell me that they have so many things, they have their kids, their spouse, this, this, this Mm -hmm. to take care of. They Mm -hmm. simply don't have time. What would your response be to them? Like how, not to feel guilty about carving time. What do you say?
1: I say that in order for all of those wheels to spin, You have to be there, right? So it's understandable when it feels as if you do not have the time to do all of that. But that's when you start to pull into your community. That's when you start to delegate. I'm pretty sure that your significant other sees how hard you're working. And therefore, if you're saying, listen, I need 30 minutes to myself in order to, and fill in the blank, whatever it is that you like to do. Is it, do you need 30 minutes to take a walk to clear your mind? I've interviewed many people and trust me, when I ask about self-care and for those who've even done it, they said that when they come back, they are the parent that they knew that they could be. They said that they are the spouse that they knew that they could be. While they were there and they're working, 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 then you start getting angry. You start short-tempered. So the person that you become is not the person that everyone knows. Interestingly, mm. I did an interview with a, um, a young lady in Israel, and she said that she she has four children, and you know she's she has her husband, and she also has her business. And she saw a woman's retreat that she wanted to attend to, and she thought about everything that us women. Well, who's going to take care of the house, the kids? Oh my God, there are four kids, and my husband. Blah, blah, blah. She went away for that retreat. It was two days. Kids were like, "Why are you leaving?" Us? Oh, my God. You know. But when she came back they said, "Oh mommy, I like this you." So, when is your next retreat? Oh, I love it. Absolutely. So, pour into yourself and you'll be the person that you know you. So,
0: want. what I hear you say is that you have to prioritize yourself in order to Absolutely. be there for other people, but in be order there. in order not to feel guilty that's to keep in mind that you have to fill your cup before you can help others, but also asking for help, identifying what makes you happy, what fulfills you, asking for help Mm -hmm. and receiving it. I think many women struggle with that. And I think that, I mean, we do,
1: we struggle because we've been taught to do it all. And especially when we look at our parents, we're like, well, my mom, she was just able to just do it all. Mom probably struggled too. And mom doesn't want you to struggle, right? Mm -hmm. Mom might have not had that support, but you, you can, you find that support and you pour into yourself and trust me, you'll be able to do way more. And your family will love you. <laughs>
0: so good. So good. Thank you, Dr. Beckford, so much for spending time. So why don't can you tell us where my listeners can find you? If they, let's say, they want to visit your podcast, where can Absolutely. they find you?
1: So you can find me on Your Caring Docs. That's U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S dot And from there, you'd be able to explore the Docs of Care page, which has a list of all my wonderful doctors whom I've interviewed, including our doctors, right so just look at their picture and then click listen and also you'll be able to find me at the your curing docs on all social media and if you'd love to join the society if you are a busy professional woman who wants to be part of my society you'll be able to find that at that website also thank you so much thank you
0: for everything you do i wish you all the best and i do hope to see you back at some point
1: thank you thank you for having me
0: if you like this episode, please share with someone who can benefit from it too. For questions and comments, you can find me on Facebook under Martina Lenartova. That is M-A-R-T-I-N-A L-E-N-A-R-T-O-V-A or on my website at www.martinazingenbeinmdcoaching.com, and that is www.martinazinginbeinemdcoaching.com g-e-n-b-e-i-n mdcoaching.com and lastly as always i appreciate a lovely five-star review or feedback from you at any time